I thought that coming out of college, they were going to throw me the keys to the car and making like these boardroom decisions of build versus buy. No, like your first five years out of college, you're stapling papers, you're scheduling meetings. It's kind of like Hero Dreams of Sushi. You have to go down to the core level of how something is done and learn the craft before you can be at that level where you're making the decisions. My name is CJ Gustafson. CJ is CFO of Parts Tech kind of the kayak.com of aftermarket auto parts. And he also runs one of the best newsletters out there called Mostly Metrics every Tuesday at 722 Eastern. But his journey to finance leader hasn't been without his fair share of bumps. That was the toughest interview I've ever done. I wrote that and sat on it for like eight months. Maybe that was the entrepreneurial gods trying to give me my $200,000 back. Join us as we learn about the kinetic life of CJ Gustafson. People aren't looking for just a better mousetrap. They're looking for something that defines a space that they're in and has a story around it. My name is Danielle Keevan. Let's uncover the hidden stories of finance professionals as they navigate money, investment, and growth. Let's look into the person behind the CFO title. Let's go beyond the budget. Before we get into the episode, if you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review of the podcast wherever you listen. It helps out the whole Paddle Studios team tremendously and lets us continue to uncover the hidden stories of CFOs. CJ grew up in New England. Most of his upbringing consisted of what you'd usually expect of someone with that background, especially with his choice of sports teams. But one interest of CJ's childhood has stuck with him all the way to the present day. I grew up in a suburb of Massachusetts. It's called Medfield. Everyone thinks it was either Medford or Medway. It, it was neither of those. Kind of southwest of the city, about 45 minutes out. Small town and... Uh, yeah, we used to call it Med Vegas because nothing would ever actually go on there. My childhood bedroom had an Allen Iverson poster. He was my favorite athlete growing up. Actually, behind me, there's a picture of Allen Iverson crossing over Michael Jordan. So even though I'm an adult now, I still have some like cartoons behind me. But yeah, I was a big basketball fan growing up. Everything... Celtics, big Patriots fan, and uh, the room was just littered with baseball cards. They were always on the ground and I was always organizing them. I think that's kind of actually where part of my CFO mind comes from because I'd be organizing them by team, by year, uh, even by player within that if I had multiple cards of that player. I had that kind of uh, organizational obsession from the beginning. I wanted to be point guard for the Celtics, but like I never really got past the whole five foot eight thing. I also really enjoyed writing growing up, which is kind of an odd thing I think for a CFO to say. I wrote for my high school newspaper. I was the editor-in-chief of that. I wrote for my college newspaper. And I've always been kind of a person who enjoys blogging and writing about what he learns. So I think I kind of took that with me. History. I won the history award in high school, actually. Um, I took every history course that the, the school offered. And then I went to Boston College and I did finance, but I also doubled in history. And I spent a couple semesters actually studying the Vietnam War. So uh, that's what I wrote my, my senior thesis on. My siblings are all very different in, in their own kind of unique ways. My brother, he, he's an enterprise salesperson. He basically likes all the stuff that I don't like. He's very extroverted and uh, like a cold call wouldn't like put him in a bad mood, whereas me, like it would terrify me. And then I have a sister who's a nurse. I have a sister who wants to be a human rights lawyer. And then I have two younger sisters who are still in school. So I don't know what they'll be, but I think each person kind of had their own thing growing up. CJ knew early on that he wanted to go into finance and chose to attend Boston College. As you'll hear next, he breaks down where that path began. 
which happened while he was eating his breakfast as a child. I've always been fascinated by how companies make money at its core. And I always explain actually when we have new people join our company, like, hey, do you actually know how PartSec makes money? And I'll break it down to like a very simple level because I think that informs all the other things you do in the organization. If you're a typical subscription company, you charge somebody the same amount every month, that's going to inform your sales force versus like a marketplace if you have a GMV take model and how you organize your resources around it. Really fascinated by like the media business growing up, how those companies made money. Like I would watch Sports Center every morning. That was my favorite show when I was eating breakfast. And I, I always thought it was so cool of how the business of ESPN came about. And I remember reading a book before I went to college, actually. I think it was before I went to college and it was called Those Guys Have All the Fun. And I remember learning about the business behind sports. I think like I've always just been fascinated, whether it's a lemonade stand or like I work for a landscaping and masonry company. I've always been interested in how they actually turn the service into you know money in the bank. While at Boston College, CJ wrote for the school paper. In one article he wrote called The Kardashian Triple-Double, CJ bemoaned the trend of celebrities, thinking they can do what athletes do and vice versa. So we flipped the script on him and had him tell us who he thinks could do his job for one day. He then goes on to explain the meaning of his writing to him. It would be Walter White from Breaking Bad, but that's a fictional character. Yeah, he'd do, he'd do a great job. Wally would pillage the treasury of treats and we'd be broke. I think Walter White would do a really good job of making sure we got our money on time and that the inventory and logistics are straight. I think it's kind of my way to crystallize what I've learned. And I've realized that in the startup world, you play long-term games with long-term people, but it may be at different companies throughout. Like you, you work with people that you can build with, but you want to be able to have that playbook when you may be playing a different game and like I was learning a lot at the last few companies I worked at and I didn't want to forget it and I also wanted an opportunity to talk to people who are smarter than me and I got to a point where I was like I don't think you can just ask everybody for five minutes or to buy them coffee you kind of need some sort of chip to say like hey can I write about something you're interested in or can I interview you and that's kind of how I was able to marry the idea of of writing with kind of the world of business and, and world of finance financial storyteller I think that's what I would put on my LinkedIn if I had to read the profile. For clarity, Wally is CJ's dog and a friend of the show. But bringing it back to CJ's story, it was time for him to enter the workforce. He began his career at PwC and tells us all about being blindsided by the work he was expecting to do. Listen on to figure out how he stayed motivated. I thought that coming out of college, like they were going to like throw me the keys to the car and be like, hey, can you calculate the net present value of like doing this transaction versus that and be like making like these boardroom decisions of like build versus buy? No, like your first five years out of college, you're stapling papers, you're like scheduling meetings. And I think that was the stuff that if I could go back and tell myself, like appreciate what you're learning now, because it's kind of like documentary um, Hero Dreams of Sushi. And like you have to go down to the core level of how something is done and learn the craft before you can be at that level where you're making the decisions and back then I was like a bit like wow I didn't expect it to be this not glorious I thought I was going to be out here like buying and selling companies and stuff you do truly have to appreciate the craft of whatever you're getting good at and learn from the people above you I do think though I did a really good job of like writing down and documenting what I was learning from people not only like what they were doing well but also like what I didn't want to be in ways people maybe like a manager would treat somebody else or uh, the way that they would organize 
organize a project. Coming out of college to answer your question, I thought it was going to be like, because they teach you these things that I think are great as like a bedrock of knowledge, but you don't realize that you may not be able to use some of that stuff until like 10 or 15 years later. I don't really remember the whole thing. I think it was like five interviews, actually. That was, I think, the toughest interview I've ever done because I had to talk to multiple people. I had to go to New York for it and do like these multi-day things. And um, the jobs I got after that were from knowing other people, I think. And that's a different type of interview process. I think like you're kind of interviewing throughout the scope of the relationship with that person to kind of get in the door. Any of those big four companies coming out of college, they do their due diligence on you. Because I got access to read stuff that I wouldn't get to read elsewhere. Like I would get thrown into like a data room and I'd have to figure out like what was the important information in there. I've always enjoyed reading, learning about businesses and just like looking at the data and looking for the story. So even if I wasn't the one who was presenting it a lot of the times and even if it was like three quarters of the time was me printing it for other people, I think I really appreciated the ability to look at stuff that other people weren't like privy to at the time. CJ went on to work for a private equity firm. He shares the secrets he learned to, in his own words, make spreadsheets sing. I think it's to break it into a format that's easily digestible. So like when you're thrown at a big set of data, like if it's a profit and loss statement, you want to organize it with putting the revenue at the top, getting to your gross margin, and then organizing the opex into categories that you can get a trend from and also see where companies are investing. But yeah, I'd say it's kind of taking data and getting it into a digestible format. And then after that, you kind of start to put a through line. And I think like a big believer in looking at like month over month trends, whenever I get information on our company, I'll look and say, well, let me see salary and benefits from month to month and see if it spikes. Let me see what we paid on our hosting and see if it spikes. And then after that, I try to write down the big themes of what I'm going to present. And I usually try to, someone smart once said to me, like, if you give me one to three things, like I can act on that and I can remember it. But if you show up and you try to give me 12 bullet points on this data set that you're given, like, I'm going to forget all of it. You basically gave me nothing. So like, I'm a big believer too. And like writing down the top things like you may not get to it all on the same presentation but that's okay you just have to distill out the best pieces along his journey cj and his wife caitlin welcomed a bernadoodle puppy into their home named wally as previously discussed wally is a friend of the show sharing an office with our senior show producer ben hillman we were curious what sort of lessons cj has learned from wally and go into that next He's always happy to be involved. We bring him pretty much everywhere with us. We're like those people who like bring their dog on the plane. Like uh, we're those people who bring their dog to the mall and stuff. And I think he's just happy to be with people that he likes to be with and including him. So I think he's taught me to be more inclusive. I love to run. I try to run with him and he just won't have it now. I, he's getting lazy in his older age. I'm not sure where that comes from, but he's a, he's a very selective dog too. As he's gotten older, I, I say he's gone keto now. Certain foods he won't like. So he's a very delicate pal. We've gone through about 50 different types of food with him. He's a Bernadoodle for contact. Help you imagine what he looks like. I heard there were a lot of stories of him like stealing food from people in, in your office. Maybe even your CEO a couple times back in the day. CJ reached his current position of CFO at ParchTex in September of 2022. Next, he shares what getting his CFO passport means to him. I don't think I ever feel like I'll ever finally make it in anything. I think this is just saying it's like there's no Elysium. There's there, there are always mountains behind the mountains in the sense that like you go as far as you can 
at that time and then you can see a little bit further. I think it was validation though that I had taken the proper steps to kind of like get my, you call it a CFO passport because I'd done a number of things along the way to try to get to that point where I'd let FP&A, I'd done treasury, I'd done investor relations, like I'd worked closely with accounting and that was kind of like validation that, that I could do it and that I could help lead a team. But I think what excited me the most is like it's a position too that can help shape culture of a company kind of working hand in hand with the CEO to shape everything that goes on. That was really cool to kind of become part of that, you know, decision making process. And also for someone else to trust me with their company enough to let me uh, move things along. A huge component of CJ's success is that he's always moving. One such moving part is his blog, Mostly Metrics. He next talks about how he manages to juggle that alongside his dog, Wally, work responsibilities, and a newborn. I have a wonderful wife. She supports me in everything I do, and uh, she helps me keep a good head on my shoulders. I think, like, I'm the type of person that doesn't do well with spare time. It, it actually... <laughs> To be honest, it makes me really anxious. So I always need something to do. And I'm always kind of looking to learn something that I didn't know before and add something to my toolkit. So I kind of look at the newsletter as my way of like crystallizing what I've learned, but also exploring things that are of interest to me that could help me in the future. So I feel like I'm making progress. I really like the show Billions and Taylor Mason had this line that she said, it's not all because I think Axe was just trying to throw money at her. And she said, you know, it's not all about money. Like what I value most is forward momentum. And I think the newsletter helps me write stuff to make me feel like I'm getting better at something and making that forward momentum even like when I may not be at work. I wrote for over a year and a half and nobody read it. And that's like the mark of a true crazy person. Every Tuesday at 722 Eastern. I think like consistency and showing up every day with a clear mind and like willingness to dig in is literally half the battle in life. Like I don't think I'm necessarily like smarter than other people who are trying to do similar things. I just think I keep showing up every day and like you can can punch me in the nose if I'm going to show up again tomorrow. It's, I don't know, I guess it's just a personality trait. Two things happened to CJ next. One, he started a business with his wife and lost $200,000 in the process. Two, a subscriber to his newsletter accidentally sent him $200,000, and CJ had to jump through many hoops to make things right. You can read about the former in Mostly Metrics, but CJ talks about the two events next and how they compare. Maybe that was like the entrepreneurial gods like trying to give me my $200,000 back and I should have kept it. But uh, no, I think they're different, but the same in the sense that it's just the mentality that you bring to something and trying your best and, and being honest about it. Trying to start my own company, that, that was a wild ride and ended in a way that I think at first I thought it was just like a total loss. And then the longer I looked at it and the longer I waited to see what came out of it, it actually led me to the current position I'm at. Like there's no way I could have got a CFO role at a marketplace company if I didn't try to start a marketplace on my own. But in the moment, I was like, I am the biggest idiot in the world for spending all my money, three years of weekends and nights like working on this to try to make it go. I think I have like a level of appreciation for people who have the guts to start something on their own. It's kind of like when I talk to other people who have failed at business before, this instant connection that we have of like, oh, holy shit, you felt that pain before of like falling flat on your face and actually having to call it quits. I think quitting something is something that's never been easy for me to do. And I think quitting was actually the hardest part, all of it in the end, not just trying to build the company. 
And then the guy who sent me 200000 I think it was like $209,000, wherever he is, I had to jump through hoops to get him that money back. But I think it's one of those things where if you don't have the, the split second reaction of what you should do in that situation, you kind of are who you are. So I didn't really think about it either way. It was just kind of like I, I had to make it right. I wrote that and sat on it for like eight months. Like I just didn't have the didn't have the stomach to press publish. But when I did, it, it felt pretty cathartic. I had, uh, it was funny. It was, it ended up on like the front page of Hacker News for a while. And I had a combination of like people saying the nicest things ever and thanking me for my honesty. And then people calling me like really bad names. Most of them like developers like, why didn't you just start with an MVP? Why didn't you do this? Why do you? I'm like, yeah, I know. I wrote that down. I messed up. Okay. There was an outpouring of people that were like, hey, I've had a similar experience. Here's my story. Like I've never told anybody about this. Like I felt terrible about it. I think admitting defeat is a humanizing thing that actually makes connections with people stronger. But like when you're in the moment, you're like, I'm never telling anybody about this failure. But once it's kind of out there, it's all kind of part of your story. I think people look at other people who are successful and they cherry pick like the highlights. I've had a couple people say like, oh, your newsletter is so successful. I'm like, yeah, but you haven't seen the 12 things that failed at like behind the scenes and like nobody knows about. I think that people like to pick out the highlight reels of what people in business do, whether that be an entrepreneur or a CEO or CFO. From here, CJ is well suited to be a financial leader for years to come. Next, he talks about what he sees down the road for himself, as well as what makes a good benchmarking report. I don't know. I think each have their merits and each have like their opportunity to lead other people. I think starting as a CEO of your own company, you're taking something from zero to one that has an exciting element to it. It's very challenging. And then I think coming in as a professional CEO of a company that's already there, that that's another kind of challenge because you're taking something that's already come to a certain point and trying to get it to the next level. You see that a lot with hyper growth companies where they'll bring in someone who has like a playbook to apply as it scales. I actually did a newsletter on this because I was kind of curious if the stocks of founder led companies performed better than professional CEO led companies. And what I saw was that the professional CEO companies had healthier all around financial kind of shape to them. Rule 40, like they were more efficient, but the founder led companies had a higher growth rate. So it was kind of like they had this founder mentality that was still like, damn the torpedoes, like we're growing. I know what's best for this. And like, I know I'm making broad classification here, but I thought it was interesting on like the different paths that companies take depending on who's at the helm. A good benchmarking report is segmented by customer size, by industry, and by go-to-market model. A lot of benchmarking reports have one of those things, but not all of them. A benchmarking report that does a fantastic job of that is is OpenView. They're a VC firm out of Boston. They'll tell you like, hey, a great net retention rate for a mid-market PLG company is this. And it's like, that's the type of nuance you need to make a decision. A lot of benchmarks that are out there are way too broad and you can get false signals. Like if you're a company like Parts that's selling to garages across the country, you probably don't want to benchmark average revenue per employee against like a Snowflake, which is an enterprise usage-based software company. I think like being able to drill down into those different classifications makes it a lot more meaningful. Next, CJ talks about what keeps him motivated to show up every day, as well as how his various job experiences led him to where he is now. 
I need something to do. I mean, like, that, I guess that's why we all have jobs, right? Because we got to do something every morning. No, but seriously, I do a lot of running. I, I run like six, seven, eight miles a day. And I think that keeps some of my energy in the right place. I think I'm just curious, to be honest. That's what keeps me coming back and, and keeps me digging into financial models, metrics, and just how, how businesses run. It's kind of one of those things like you either love what you're doing, you love the craft, you love asking questions, or you don't. And I think that's kind of what led me to this role, really. Like I probably wasn't going to be a stellar consultant. I was probably going to be like a B, B plus. Private equity, I was probably like a, a, a B minus, but those guys were really smart. And like I learned a lot along the way, but I feel like I'm, I'm kind of stacking my talents to something that also aligns with what my interests are. Or at least that's what I'm trying to do. I don't know if people ever find that nirvana, but that's kind of my goal. I think I've kind of always had like an, an underdog mentality. I think I go back to fifth grade. I didn't make the travel basketball team. And I remember shooting hoops every single day. So the next year I could make it. And I think like I've looked at different things along the way, not as like milestones, but as like validation that you can do something, that you can make the team and then you can make that team better. I think there's a bit of fifth grade basketball player or whatever it may be in all of us. And uh, you're always kind of looking for that validation, not necessarily from other people, but from yourself that like you belong in that spot and that and that you've made it. So it's all part of the journey at the end of the day. It's really just scratching my own itch and it's kind of cool that other people have came along for the ride. Like I said, like I wrote for a year and a half for almost two years and nobody listened to me like I was going to keep writing no matter what and I think that's the mark of like someone who takes what they're doing personally and seriously and also like at the end of the day like I think a lot of people take business I take the process of writing and documenting what I do seriously business can also be fun and I also get kind of like rubbed the wrong way when people try to act like, oh, I'm so much smarter or like I'm trying to like dunk on somebody else or I'm trying to just like signal that I know something better than other people. It's like, why can't business also be fun? And I kind of felt like that was missing. So maybe it was just me trying to have fun with what I was learning. And it's pretty cool that other people felt the same way about it. We've talked a lot on the show about the wrong assumptions made about CFOs. Next, CJ explains what some of those assumptions are, as well as his advice on how other CFOs can be financial storytellers themselves. That they wear like really ugly shoes. They wear those like those New Balance shoes that like dads mow the lawns with. I think that's what they assume. But honestly, I think they assume that CFOs, and this is like a change from CFOs used to be kind of like, hey, it's your job to make the back office run on time. Now it's, hey, you're in charge of company performance. Like I call the CFO the CPO, the chief performance officer. A lot of that too is because we've had a big up leveling in the tooling that people can use. So you can get metrics in one spot that used to be a disparate sources. But I think people think of a CFO sometimes as like a bean counter, somebody who has IQ but low EQ. But I think CFOs these days, the best ones have a sense of everything that's going on in the company, including what's going on with the product, and also have a sense of emotional intelligence to talk to people from different backgrounds in the company. I think you got to figure out what makes the opportunity you're working on exciting and how to position your company as a category leader. People aren't looking for just like a better mousetrap. They're looking for something that defines a space that they're in and has a story around it. And also what I've noticed from the best marketers out there is they help the customers feel involved in that story. I've worked for companies before that worked and did security for developers. And we got the developers feeling like this was their product too that they were pushing. And we were enabling developers to code and feel more secure at the same time. And I think storytelling is like getting your audience involved in it, positioning your company as something bigger than just, like I said, a better mousetrap. 
Special thanks to CJ Gustafson for being on the show. You can find him on LinkedIn and Twitter if you'd like to say thanks yourself. Know anyone who would be great for the show? Send an email to our senior show producer, ben.hillman at paddle.com. Also, please leave a five-star review if you enjoyed the podcast. We'll see you next time on Beyond the Budget, a podcast from Paddle Studios dedicated to helping you build better SaaS.